All right, hey guys and gals, what's going on? Joe B here, uh, just with a quick message before the podcast. Um, you might notice some different music at the intro and the outro, and the cool part is, it's uh, one of you guys that uh, provided us with the music. Uh, uh, what you'll hear is from Jason Anderson, and you can find him on Twitter at Jason Elliott Five. So uh, be sure to give him a look if you like it. And, uh, of course, uh, thanks to Jason for letting us use it. All right, guys, to the pod we go. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Bills Beat here, off-season edition. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me, as always, the co-host, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. And uh, we officially have a signing to talk about. That's kind of wild. Uh, Spencer Long, obviously signed by the Bills this past week and um, really firing up the fury from some fans initially. Uh, We'll get more into that as we kind of go along and talk about the offensive line in general. But we have some business to attend to, just as we did last week. It's the the actual bracket results. We now have whittled our way down to the Sweet 16. Are you excited to hear these results? I am. This is the first time I'm hearing them as well. Well, there were some... uh, I thought on paper there were some good matchups. Turned out to be mostly blowouts. Kind of, uh, some were to be expected, but kind of uh, interesting. So, to declare, who moved on in the Come On Darlene bracket? The first matchup between Matthew Fairburn for daring Bills beat fans and encouraging them to stack Marcus Murphy versus for the game he got hurt versus Arnie Herber. Matthew Fairburn moves on by a 61 to 39 percent. Wow. Um, vote. So, Matthew... By the way, 199 responders. So, we were one shy of 200. So, what is it, guys? Is it something we said? Did you, we need that 200. Did you, especially for the Sweet 16. Did you not like this us? This is where things get serious. Mm-hmm. Um, the second matchup. Henry Anderson for unnecessarily cold-clocking Stephen Hauschka versus Sean McDermott for explaining Ray Ray McLeod's absence as a football decision. Henry Anderson won 74% to 26. Total blowout. Had a feeling Henry Anderson would be a a strong contender Mm -hmm. wire to wire here. That that one got a lot of people going. Mm -hmm. Sure did. Um, The third matchup, Harrison Phillips for inadvertently advocating that children drink one gallon of milk a day versus fan that had Vikings jersey customized to Packers suck and using the number 61 rather than the obvious 69. Packers suck 61 guy won 65 to 35. Uh, fourth matchup, which seemed like it was going to be a blowout. Ass ripping press box man versus person that let drunk bachelor bros on to New Era Field post game. Predictably, blowout. 76 to 24. Ass ripping press box man moves on. Fifth matchup, the man seated next to Fairburn on a 30-minute plane ride that kept slamming the window up and down versus sporting and or selling a new style Bills jersey with Kelly number 12 as a player number combo. The man seated next to Fairburn on a 30-minute plane ride advances 65 to 35. Sixth matchup, U.S.-France giant-sized flag amalgam versus Darlene for being noticeably absent during Bills games in the first half of the season. I thought this was somewhat of a toss-up. Who do you think advanced? I feel like Darlene must have won. Oh, Darlene more yeah. than advanced. 64 to 36. She is uh, on to the next round. Seventh matchup, Mike Rodak for forgetting to shave his terrible soul patch versus Matt Dar for terrible punting. This one was predictable. Mike Rodak and his terrible soul patch moves on. 79 to 21. That wasn't even the worst blowout, uh, just mind you. Eighth matchup, uh... Patriots fan that aggressively dabbed 30 times in 15 seconds on camera during a commercial break versus Matthew Fairburn for not extending the long-standing Blaine Gabbert streak on the previous episode in week six. Matthew Fairburn advances again, 63-37. Wow. to 37. So you're into the Sweet 16 twice uh, so far. Speaking of the third potential for you, Ninth matchup, the inexcusable person that threw a beer can at Leonard Fournette's helmet as he was walking up the ramp versus Matthew Fairburn for advocating a Nick Mullins stack only to play the Raiders defense in his own fantasy matchup that got shredded by Mullins. 
Matthew Fairburn moves on again. Wow. 59 to 41 percent. So you're in three times into the Sweet 16. Still with another chance. Tenth uh, matchup. Vontae Davis for not only retiring mid-game, but for leaving the stadium altogether at halftime versus Joe Biscaglia for doubting Matt Barkley ahead of his award name-inducing effort against the Jets. This was the blowout of the round. I didn't stand a chance. Vontae Davis for re- retiring mid-game and leaving the stadium altogether won 91-9. to We, Matthew, have a favorite on Vontae our hands. Davis is Kentucky. Oh, it's 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 real. We're going to see if any of these actually stand a chance against him. Uh, num- uh, the 11th matchup. Matthew Fairburn for not disclosing to Joby earlier that he used to drive a 94 Thunderbird as a class of 2010 high school student versus Tom Coughlin for screaming like an infant in the press box when things weren't going the Jaguars' way. Do you think you make it four? I don't think so. You're correct. Tom Coughlin wins 69 nice. to 31. God damn right. Twelfth matchup. Mike Rabel for not using Blaine Gabbard against the Bills and then losing the game versus the Twitter man that said he'd rather have a second vasectomy done to him before watching another Bills game. The Twitter man. Second vasectomy. Won 64-36. to Thirteenth matchup. Sean McDermott for saying, I've got to watch the tape to discuss the performance of Nathan Peterman against the Ravens versus the grumbling man that didn't close the stall door with his pants down to his ankles that Joby accidentally walked in on. This was our closest matchup. Who do you think got it? Toss up here. I think the man you walked in on. The winner is Sean McDermott for saying he needs to watch the tape after the performance of Nathan Peterman against the Ravens. That was one of the um, the marquee moments. I know. That, that was a Final Four matchup in the first round. Just luck of the draw for the grumbling... Man that didn't close the stall door with his pants to his ankles. So there, there it is. 56 to 44%. Sean McDermott moves on. 14th matchup. Uh, Terry Pagula for saying, according to Eric Reed, that the NFL was in need of a black figurehead with the anthem issue versus the upper deck man boob man on the Jumbotron in the pouring rain versus Baltimore. And, you know, it's fitting that the upper deck man boob man won 69 to 31%. 15th matchup. Uh, Corey Bajorquez for running a fake field goal when no one else on the team did versus Jerry Hughes for pretending that screaming at the official in the tunnel after the game never happened only 15 minutes after it happened. Jerry Hughes moves on 59 to 41% and the last matchup from the first round, the back judge that didn't stop the play when Taiwan Jones lost his helmet, allowing him to get crushed by an oncoming tackler versus the anthem singer that tucked his baggy Texans jersey into his jeans. The back judge that allowed Taiwan Jones to almost get decapitated oh, wins sixty-five to thirty-five. I know you're. I really you're devastated. had higher hopes for the the anthem singer with the tucked-in jersey. It was a tough draw. But you had to see him. There was you a, had to see him. I feel like for people to get the full picture. It was it was a lot. It, there were a lot of tough draws for for these guys or for these um, come on, Darlene's. And now we have a Sweet Sixteen. So let's get them into matchups, shall we? I mean, it, it won't take too long, so let's just go ahead and uh, get this ready to go. The first matchup will be Upper Deck Man Boo Bam. This is random drawing. This is happening as we speak here. And let me just delete that. Versus Fairburn for not mentioning Blaine Gabbert on the last podcast. Tough matchup for you. Upper deck man, boom man versus versus that. That's that's a big one. Uh, the next matchup will be. Please hold. Tom Coughlin's infantile screams in the press box. Versus. I'm I'm compelled by the upper, the your initial matchup. By the way, upper deck man, boom man is. I think one of the which stadium was that in? Ravens. That's right. Week one in the downpour. Yeah, he's a guy that I, I feel like could go a long way and surprise some people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom Coughlin's infantile screams and press box will be up against Fairburn, daring and encouraging Marcus Murphy stacks. So uh, yeah, you you have another kind of tough matchup here. I, I don't know. You, Tom I, Coughlin knocked me out once. I feel like he could do it again here. <laughs> The next matchup will start with the second vasectomy Twitter man rather than watching the Bills. And he will be up against 
Fritz in the background. Darlene for PFs and during Bills game. So the Twitter man for the second vasectomy will be up against Darlene. Incredible matchup in the Sweet 16. I'm sure she never thought that was going to happen when she tweeted I know at it. you the I know first it. time I know many it. moons ago. All right, the uh, the next matchup will be will start with the ass ripping press box man, and he will be up against. Randoming at the, on the fly here. The back judge for not stopping the play when Taiwan Jones lost his helmet. I'm going to say goodbye, back judge. Right yeah, that's away. That's a blowout waiting to happen. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not optimistic for uh, him whatsoever. Next matchup, Corey. No, that's not it. That's not right. He didn't win. Please hold. The next matchup is Jerry Hughes for pretending screaming at the official never happened. That will be up against Henry Anderson for cold clocking Stephen Hauschka. That's a tough matchup for both. It is. I feel like fanhood will help Henry Anderson advance. Yeah, perhaps. Although, perhaps Jerry Hughes should be the one advancing I there. Know. Uh, next matchup starts with McDermott for saying, I've got to watch the film after the Nathan Peterman performance against the Ravens. Um, and that will be up against number five, Fairburn for using the Raiders defense against Nick Mullins after advocating for Nick Mullins stack to the podcast listeners, the, the beloved podcast listeners and doing himself a disservice. The next matchup, the Packers suck 61, not 69 Jersey. (laughs) That one is a real humdinger. And he will be up against the window slamming plane man. Um, so that's another great, tough matchup. Great entries. Wow, we have the matchup of the entire thing. The final matchup: Rodak for getting to shave his terrible soul patch versus Vontae Davis for leaving the stadium at halftime. Two of the great villains wow. in Buffalo history. Wow! What Mike Rodak versus Vontae Davis? What a moment! So this is going to really test people because people really want to vote for Vontae Davis, but they also really want to make fun of Rodak. Yep. So yep, it's tough. Yep. We'll 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 see. This is this is getting compelling. And of course, uh, if you want to vote in it, just. Uh, Tweet at uh, Fairburn and I with the hashtag come on Darlene. I'll send you the link. And also, you can find the link to the voting page right uh, on the SoundCloud info area. And that's how you can get your vote in a couple of different ways. So, by all means, vote, vote, vote. Let's see if we can get to 200. We are one shy this time around. And we'll see who advances. All right. So, now that we've attended to that very serious business, let's talk about some offensive linemen, shall we? I mean, this is uh, the first scrap of news that we've had about the Bills really since eh, the offseason got going. And it only happened because the Jets released Spencer Long. But, of course, the Bills signing Spencer Long to a three-year contract. And it what ensued was just kind of an outrage a little bit. From a little a, bit of panic. Yeah, a I little bit. I haven't seen this much panic since the Bills re-signed Jeremiah Searles. Which, by the way, when I was looking up um, images of uh, Spencer Long. They're buddies, I think. Yeah. They took a picture together outside the premiere of something. Um, so, Jeremiah Searles. How about that? Uh, both Nebraska men, I believe. So, that was... Uh, yeah, they were college teammates, the two of them. College teammates, buddies, and now teammates once again. Which, what a... What a wonderful thing for those two gentlemen. However, both the subject of much scorn right. from Bills fans. And both were signed to way better contracts than people initially thought. I mean, it's always, I know you know this, but it's always a, at this time of year, it's always a good thing to kind of remind people to just kind of ignore the initial numbers that get put out there. Because a lot of times, I mean, who has what to gain from that information being out there. That's what you have to kind of look into. And oftentimes with contract numbers that come out right after the signing, it's not the teams that are doing it. I mean, usually it's agents that, you know, want, want to have their have their stuff out there. Um, and 3 for 13 looks really good 
for Spencer Long on on the agent, but that said, does not look good for Bills fans. So, um, once the actual details of the contract came out from our friend Soul Patch Mike Rodak, uh, he it basically boiled down to a one-year deal with a couple of team options. And for an amount of money that doesn't necessarily indicate a starter, it could, but I mean it's just just kind of he's just kind of there. He's maybe a break glass in case of emergency toward a, sort of guy and you know, it's not necessarily he's not necessarily a bad player by any means. He had a pretty down year against the Jets, I think. Um but I'm sorry, for the Jets, I should say. But he seemed like he was a relatively solid option. Otherwise, the Jets wouldn't have signed him to such a mega deal uh, last offseason. So it's it's not really anything to have a large stink about, right? Not at all. I mean, we don't know exactly what their plan is for him. But the fact that so much of his contract is tied into incentives and playing time and whether he's on the 46-man roster week by week, I think tells you that he's going to have to compete and earn everything that he gets. We also don't know whether he's going to play center or guard. You know, he's played both in his career. He had some snapping issues because of a hand injury. He's had quite a few injuries over the course of his career that I think have uh, started to impact him a little bit, but he's got a long history of playing in this league, including playing pretty well in Washington. And so for a team that is losing potentially three starters to free agency on an offensive line that wasn't very good to begin with, getting a guy that has played in the league to at least provide competition or depth to whoever else you bring in before free agency even starts is a nice option. Numbers and contracts can get crazy mm-hmm. when free agency opens. And so they may have a target at guard or center and the bidding war gets crazy and they want to sit out. Well, now they at least have, you know, a veteran already in place with a pretty reasonable deal. Uh, And so I don't think there's too much downside here, especially when the team options are for 2020 and 2021. I know. And we already know they have more money than they can spend in 2019. So they're not going to need a ton of money to re-sign guys until a few years down the road. And at that point, Spencer Long will be a distant memory. Yeah, the the cap hit on the initial season, too, is under four. So I think that would put him, as centers go, I think it would put him a little ahead of the 16th most uh, highly paid center in the league in terms of right now. If he's a center. Right. Because he wasn't uh, at the end of the year last year because of, you know, injuries and everything else. So this is a nice contingency option for, all right, if, you know, they get us, maybe there's a good value at center, you know, and, and Matt Paradis doesn't go for as much as you thought, and you can get him in here. Well, now Spencer Long is a guard, or maybe there's a guard in free agency that you, you lock in and you try Spencer Long at center. Same goes for the draft. It gives you the flexibility that Brandon Bean is always looking for because he wants to take the best player available and doesn't want to force the issue at any particular position, both in free agency and the draft. So, Having a guy that can do both and, you know, at least provide some depth, an ideal depth guy that can play left guard, center, and right guard. It's exactly what you want in a backup. And if he can start at one of those spots, even better. Yeah, I mean, let's let's not beat around the bush here. This is this is a situation that they have to rectify in full. How many holdovers are there from the 2018 roster to the 2019 roster along the offensive line? The answer is two. The two locked-in ones, which are Deion Dawkins, which we still don't know where he's going to play next year, and Wyatt Teller, who it seems like the Bills have kind of... uh, They've kind of uh, come around to think that they can have him in the starting lineup and be successful with him there. So that's two... Um, that also means they don't have depth and that's why they brought back Jeremiah Searles, not to keep him for 2019, not to say that they've invested to keep him, but it gives them another option because he has some versatility in case that they would strike out elsewhere. I think this Spencer Long thing is kind of similar to that. And notice when the, the rest of the guaranteed money kicks in five days after free agency begins, which is the start of the new league year. And I don't think the Bills are going to do this, but if they 
strike it big for a for a center. Like let's say they they get Paradis and they feel like that they just want to move on with Bodine as the backup or Long as the backup. They could they could walk away if they want to. It would be more cost effective to walk away from Long, although I think they would probably want to walk away from Bodine in that situation. But still, I mean there, there's some flexibility there for them. So it's not a bad contract whatsoever. Um, and also part of the part of the 2019 cap number is per game incentives as well. So it's not even that bad. If he doesn't dress, then it's he's not someone that they have to continue to pay for. That cap number just comes down. So it's uh, I thought the the freakout was a little. I mean, I understood because it's their first signing, and there was so much anticipation for the offseason to begin, and he's one of the only guys they can talk to right now. So, uh, obviously, it was going to bring on some attention. But still, I mean, much ado about nothing. He's he's a guy um, with some potential to start, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It's not going to cost them a ton, and no signing bonus. Love that strategy. Absolutely love that strategy. You see some teams do it. And I wondered what the Bills would do now that they have their cap all in order. And not to say that they're going to do this with every single player, but having that freedom to essentially just say, no, we're good, we're going to walk away scot-free the next year. That's that's a great strategy to have if you can if you can pull it off with, uh, with the way you structure your salary cap. And if you can convince guys to do that, yes. which in free agency will be harder. But this is but it's roster bonus money good, too that uh, you could give them. This is a good warm up for free agency, I think, for Bills fans. A good little, like you said, uh, maybe a little lesson to be learned that no matter who they sign, there's going to be people who are upset about it. There's going to be people who think that guy isn't very good. And quite frankly, a lot of the players hitting free agency have flaws in some way. You know, they're guys that teams are letting go. Um, sometimes that's because the price tag is too high. Yeah, in Long's and, case, it definitely was too high. And sometimes it's because they've, you know, haven't met expectations, whatever it may be. So free agency is not a, a perfect deal. And there's going to be a lot of opinions one way or the other. There's going to be a lot of pressure for instant reaction. But ultimately, and, and we saw this with a lot of the deals last year, until you see the, you know, Starlo Tulele was one. Until you see the money, it's hard to know how good of a value a team is getting. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you focus on the player as much as you can, but the price tag matters too. Matters less this year because they have so much money to spend. But how they're structuring these deals is super important too. Thirteen million is different if twelve of it isn't guaranteed, as, right. in, as in this case. So <laughs> I think you know it's. Contracts can be funny in the NFL like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, agents are driven by APY, and teams are driven by, all right, we're going to backload the hell out of this thing. (laughs) So if we want to get out of the deal, we can. And that's, I mean, it stinks from a player's perspective because you kind of have to sign those types of deals unless you're a star um, and or at the top of the market in free agency. But when you have a, a middle-tier guy, maybe a replacement-level guy, which is what Spencer Long effectively is, I mean, how much leverage do you really have here? I mean, you can have interest from other teams, but they're probably structuring their deals the same ways. And There's if, also some urgency from him, I think, because true. as soon as free agency opens, he's one of mm-hmm. a ton of guys out there, and totally you can right. get lost in the shuffle pretty quickly as opposed to before free agency or the only guy people can talk to and you know there's it's a little bit easier to get some clarity you have time to make a decision in free agency that goes away and within a couple days even there's even just a perception that you've hung around a couple days you know teams feel like they can wait teams Mm -hmm. feel like they can drive your price down look at AJ McCarron didn't sign right away and after a couple days his price tag came down it's just how it works. And so I think there's probably some urgency on the part of Spencer Long to get a deal betting on himself saying, yeah, there's incentives in here. And, you know, if he plays to the point where they want to pick up that option, they can. then they can. And, yeah. and they can make this a three-year deal at 
if he plays the way he did in Washington, it's a pretty fair price, mm-hmm. even if he gets every dollar in that contract. So, uh, you know, if he earns it, then there's no problem paying a guy that type of money because he did play fairly well in Washington for a few years. And to your point, like with the rush for the player itself in this specific situation, which is a bit unique in terms of free agency because there's not too many guys that come available this time of year. But um, for Spencer Long, he probably looked at it like, okay, they're offering me a a median salary. Uh, Sean McDermott's a Nebraska guy. I'm a Nebraska guy. Uh, They've got potentially three starting positions available. If not, they need a core depth guy. And and yeah, there's potential for more growth. And if they opt out... Plus, he got a ton of money last year. Right. So money isn't a tremendous issue. Obviously, it's always an issue, but... Um, you know, like I said, he's betting on himself that he can earn this yeah, and the- be in a situation where he thinks he can succeed. And if you're an offensive lineman, the Bills situation is attractive because there are so many starting spots open and, you know, spots available to come in and make an impact and be, you know, take on a leadership role on an offensive line that, that badly needs one of those guys. Mm-hmm. So Spencer Long, the outrage, I got it to a certain degree. Eh, you just kind of have to look back on those days and laugh because it's like, yeah, yeah, everybody kind of freaked out about, well, not everybody, a certain pocket freaked out about Spencer Long. But hey, we're still here. The Bills still have plenty of offseason to go. Lots of free agents to meet with and potentially sign. Players to potentially draft. And they're going to. I mean, to sit here and pencil in Spencer Long as a starting player right now would be silly. And anything that kind of says, all right, Spencer Long is going to be a starter or they're figuring him in, I think that's a little bit too uh, too early to, to tell all that stuff. Keep in mind, Russell Bonine is making $2.5 million this year. So it's not as though the, the money is so incredibly egregious. And Russell Bodine's a center only. He doesn't have flexibility. So for long, it's just see how it plays out. Do you strike out in free agency? Spencer Long's there in case you need him to be your starting center. Do you strike out in the draft as well? Hey, Spencer Long is there. So they're just giving themselves options, which is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. They're revamping the entire offensive line, which is what we said they've they've had to do this entire time. It's a part of it. It also shows that they are taking the issue of the offensive line seriously. Yeah, they which have to. Obviously, you don't want to make too much of one signing, but the fact that they are addressing the offensive line before free agency even opens suggests that they know they need multiple guys up front. And, you know, any worry that they didn't notice that, obviously it's you don't want to give them too much credit for noticing the obvious, but yeah, right. some teams do flat out ignore the offensive line sometimes, even when it's such an obvious issue. So it seems to me they recognize that. They know that they need options. They need insurance. They need depth. And they need to get that any way they can. That's why Brandon Bean has mentioned pre-free agency, June, you know, cuts, guys that get cut you know, after free agency or after the draft. There are many different ways to add players. This happens to be one of them. And adding an NFL, you know, an experienced NFL player and starter at this point in the year is, um, I would say, a a small victory. So where do they kind of, where do they go from here? I mean, we've got the combine coming up in a couple of weeks, which is really the first time where teams start the tampering. I mean, they can call whoever they want, but this is the way that you can't um, you can't really track it because everybody's in restaurants after the day is done. Everyone is having a few pops in them, so to speak, and you get uh, all of these all of these people in a room, and obviously conversations are going to happen. I mean, the NFL will say, "No, no, 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 that can't happen," but this is. This is the time of year when those little, those sneaky little birds out there, for my Game of Thrones fans, um, they start talking. And so the Bills will 
undoubtedly be in on several different players along the offensive line. I mean, I would anticipate going after the center position is probably the priority. Um, I don't... I if, if I were in their shoes and Paradis was is a guy that you think can be a difference maker, then go for it. I mean, that's by all means. But after seeing some recent reports out of Denver about how, you know, he, they want to re-sign him, but he's not about to, you know, take any percent off his current value, it's just kind of makes me think that there's going to be a bidding war for him. And I don't know that the Bills are going to and the way that they've kind of talked heading into this thing, I don't know if they're going to include themselves in a bidding war for the top-rated center on the market. Plus, there's this. He's also turning 30. Um, and coming off of a tough injury. Yeah. So, do you want to give a loaded contract, which is probably extending four to five years, to a guy who's entering his 30s? And I know offensive linemen are a bit different, and they, they tend to hold on a little bit longer than some other positions. But still, I mean, you've got a guy like Mitch Morse who's going to be 27. Not as good as Paradis, at least right now, but he's also entering the prime of his career. He's bigger. He's got longer arms. The physical elements are there. If you're a prototypical type of measurement team, which the Bills are, by the way, I don't know. I, I think Morse might make a little bit more sense. I mean, it's just he's a little bit more cost-effective in a free agent situation, I think. Yeah, and... We'll see what the numbers end up looking like. I think it's a good sign for starters that Paradis is hitting the market yeah. and he's not taking a hometown discount in that sense. Also important to note that the Bills spent, what, about $12 million on the center position last year mm -hmm. because they were paying Eric Wood. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, that shows you that there is uh, an importance to that spot and maybe paying for it they also had ryan khalil in carolina who they drafted and developed and you know helped him get there so you could go either way i don't think they should force it but i think after morse and paradis it gets a little dicey and so that's why it's such a you know strange little game to play in free agency there was a lot of game theory that goes in and mm -hmm. trying to figure out where to you know direct your attention because if you spend too much time courting Paradis and Morse gets away and then you're left with nobody then you know it, it depends you, you really got to prioritize and figure out um, you know who it is you want what it is you're willing to pay and stick to that which can be hard to do but especially when you have as much money as the bills have it can be tempted to add a couple extra million onto these contracts right. but I think they're, you know, neither of those guys is a slam dunk, uh, but if they're looking to go the veteran route, then I think they're the obvious choices. And with Morse being younger and potentially more affordable, not generating quite as much buzz, that could be a, a nice little, you know, plan B for them, or even just uh, a little bit of a pivot away from if everybody's going to chase after Paradis. Yep, exactly. And I, I think, I think Morse probably. Based on what I think the Bills are willing to do, he probably tops the list for centers for me for them. But it's just just a matter of what how these dollars and cents kind of line up here, and and if they'll actually get the uh, chance to sign someone like him. Because by the way, I mean Kansas City can still re-sign him. Yeah, I'm sure they would be inclined to at least talk to him about it. They do have a lot of salary, big salaries on on that uh, roster already. So I don't know if they necessarily want to invest that much in him. But still, this is um, I like him, and I just wonder how it's going to play out. Also, it's good to keep this in mind: if they do um, draft or if they do sign a center like Morse or Paradis, they have an automatic two and a half million or almost two and a half million that they can get off their books right away in, in cutting Russell Bodine. So there is that, that, that they can put into their potential negotiations of uh, who they want to be in Buffalo in 2019 and beyond. So there, there's a lot of different too, avenues. You know, they may end up having to decide, would you rather have Paradis or Morse, or would you rather have Daryl Williams? You know, if, True. are you going to spend on both? 
or just one? Uh, I think, you know, that's a legitimate question they have to answer. And, you know, that means that draft resources are going to have to be spent as well because you can only hope to have so many day three guys pan out or so many plan C free agents pan out. And on the offensive line, they haven't had a whole lot of luck in that regard. You know, you're you're looking at Wyatt Teller, hoping that he becomes a starter. Uh, Deion Dawkins is a day two guy, hoping that he's a long-term fixture. Mm-hmm. John Miller as a third round pick, hasn't really panned out. Jordan Mills was kind of a, you know, a, a shot in the dark signing that's lasted probably longer than most people expected. Uh, Russell Bodine, another kind of uh, afterthought free agent signing. At some point, you have to sink some resources in, and that's not all right. free agency, but uh, you know the draft is important as well. So it's going to be an interesting few months at that position in particular because I think there's just so much importance there. Obviously, you don't need high-priced guys. You don't need uh, you know high draft picks necessarily, but if you if you don't have them, then you better be good at developing offensive line talent, which they haven't necessarily been. Maybe Bobby Johnson changes that. We'll, we'll have to see. Right, and if you're going to go after a guy like Daryl Williams at, at right tackle, um, that means you're sinking money in to the tackle position. And I wonder if they would be interested in a guy like Donovan Smith, who plays the other side. Um, so if they're, if they're sinking money in, perhaps, you know, Stereotypically, the left tackle is the spot where you want to pay the most money. And I don't know how much Donovan Smith is going to get on the open market. I would probably think it's above 11, uh, maybe above 12 a year. But uh, he could yeah, – there, there's potential there. Penn State guy, don't don't uh, rule out the Pakula factor here. Um, he's from the state of New York, which I didn't know. He's only 25 as of right now. He'll turn 26 in, in June. There's going to be a premium for that guy, but – I mean, if you're looking to shore up your left tackle spot because you're not sold on Deion Dawkins and you want to see exactly where Deion Dawkins figures in, whether he's going to be guard or your right tackle, I mean, that that uh, that, shores up, uh, that shores up one side of things for you. And you have a – and there's also this. You break up the combo of young, inexperienced players that are right next to each other. Donovan Smith would be next to Wyatt Teller as opposed to having Dawkins next to Wyatt Teller and that's, I, I don't want to downplay that. Having those two guys who are trying to figure it, figure themselves out individually and needing a collective effort to really improve this thing, you have to wonder if maybe that they just don't want that to be in the cards. Yeah, it's, it's, that's why I think a blend of experienced players and you know draft picks is going to be important here mm-hmm. because... I think a big problem for that group up front is just the lack of leadership at the moment. You know, Deion Dawkins sort of was supposed to take on a little bit of that role. We didn't really see it. That's uh, hard to ask of a second year guy, though. And, you know, you had Bodine and Groy were probably the more experienced guys and Jordan Mills, but they don't command the type of attention and respect that, you know, Eric Wood did or even you know, Richie Incognito to an extent. Uh, It's kind of funny to think about him commanding respect and and attention, but he was a guy whose performance was at an extremely high level and set a lot of people at ease. You know, Deion Dawkins has talked about, you know, how important that was having a guy like Richie Incognito next to him, knowing that uh, he was going to get his job done and how much easier that made things for him as opposed to, a Wyatt Teller or somebody like that. So, uh, you know, at some point, uh, new leaders need to emerge, whether they're developed or whether they're just brought in. And I just don't know that, um, you know, Bodine and Groy and Jordan Mills totally cut it in that department. Right, exactly. Um, And the other factor to think about is that this is a pretty strong draft class for offensive linemen. I mean, tackle is a tad top-heavy. Um, but when you get to the interior offensive line, there's some really good players that'll, I mean, there will be a good starting type of player available to them at 40 uh, with the interior offensive line, whether it be a guard, 
like uh, you know, like a Lindstrom from Boston College, who's pretty darn good, that we saw at the Senior Bowl, or a center like um, McCoy from Texas A&M, or uh, Bradbury from uh, NC State. I mean, these are these are legitimate options for them if they sneak down to that 40th overall spot. But that's a, that's a really good pick in the second round where they can find a start, a walk in right away starting guy that uh, that can help them out significantly or is I mean not to go too far off on the uh, on other positions but is that a spot where you strike for a potential impact tight end who might slip down the board because maybe it's obviously probably gonna be too high at ninth overall but in terms of offensive line plenty of options for them at at 40 and I don't know that I would necessarily force a pick of an offensive lineman where they are in the first round at nine. No, I think it's why trading down is such an attractive yeah, option. And, I agree. And obviously it's, you know, something people talk about every year. Oh, you got to trade down. But I think this year it makes more sense than most because where their needs are and where the talent in this draft is, obviously staying put and taking a defensive player wouldn't be the a bad move by any stretch. Or if they stay put and take a Jonah Williams or whoever it may be, it's not the end of the world, but if you can trade down, pick up an extra second or even third round pick, there's such a cluster of talent at offensive line, wide receiver, and tight end in the second and third rounds that having three or in an ideal world four day two picks would be a big get you know, in, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, mm-hmm. however you can do it, uh, whether you have to trade players, whatever it may be, I think that would be the ideal scenario because that's where a lot of the talent is at the positions they need. A wide receiver is another one where there's just a lot of talent available. I know. Uh, depending on what you're looking for, and I think a lot of it will fall down the board. I mean, obviously, DK Metcalf is getting a ton of attention could be a top 10 pick could be an option for them but if you move down and address wide receiver or offensive line and then can go into the second and third round with three picks to get another receiver or another alignment and a a tight end maybe a running back or you know that's where you look at defense you want as many bites at the apple as you can get Uh, and especially in a draft like this where you know there's no obvious answer for them at the top in the top 10 but there are a ton of answers at a handful of positions once you get past, say, the top 20. Right, exactly. And I've started to dig into the wide receivers of this class a little bit. Um, There's there's definitely some talent out there, some some late-round guys that that you can go after too that would fit the the mold of like a slot player if you don't sign one in a free agency. And I know we we're mostly focusing on offensive line on this podcast, but still, I mean, there there are some some solid gets out there, and ones that you again you don't have to take at nine. So, so you're like, okay, so what do you take at nine? Um, well, that's why trading back is so attractive yep. because there's Best not player. an obvious answer. Or, I mean, right. an edge rusher if they're there. I mean, it, so much of it depends because they're a lot of it's out of their hands and. Kyler Murray uh, picking football it was a good thing for the Bills. Oh, It'll yes. push a little bit more talent down the board. It will potentially create a scenario where somebody wants to trade up for a quarterback uh, or or a, a player that falls down the board at another position. Yeah. So that and it just makes the draft more interesting and more fun, which mm-hmm. is uh, never a bad thing. And you reminded me. I mean, this is the Bills are in a very key spot because even though. The Denver Broncos just traded for Joe Flacco. Fourth rounder, by the way. Oof. Oof for Flacco at this point in his career. With that contract, Elway just continuing to uh, making awful decisions at the quarterback position. But that's a team that's in the market for a young quarterback, specifically in the first round, especially after they passed on a lot of them <laughs> this past well, draft. That's the funny thing about that. And they passed they on were, trading down. They were sitting right there and could have basically... Uh, not necessarily had their pick, but almost. Yeah. And, you know, they punted, and now they're sitting there with Joe Flacco and Case Keenum and picking 10th in a class that's not as good as last year's. So I guess, you know, when you look at the Bills situation, you say, hey, they at least went out and got a guy knowing they had an issue, whereas the Broncos have tried to 
address the quarterback position in a ton of different ways, none of them being good. And the and the reason being, I mean, they're the Bills are right ahead of the Broncos, so let's say Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins get, gets picked in the top eight picks. You want Drew Locke? Well, the Broncos might take him at 10. If you want Drew Locke, you go up and get him. And I mean, the Bills will be like, all right, we're open. We're open for business. I mean, let's say Haskins falls past the Giants-Jaguars realm that, that we've been talking about. You know, if, if that happens, then hey, the Bills are still right there at 9 to say, okay, who's coming up? to take our pick, what's the best offer here? Because with how much of a different story, and we saw it with how the Bills made their trade last year to move up to seven uh, with Tampa Bay and giving up much more value than you know a, a chart would indicate because quarterback is just an entirely different situation. It's why the Colts got what they got for trading with the Jets. What was it, three second rounders yep. to, to do that? Um, it's why the Bills had to give up as much as they did, essentially sacrificing all their flexibility on day two to go up and and get uh, a guy like Josh Allen that they believed in um, to make that jump. But yeah, the the draft value charts were saying, oh, that's a that's a dumb move by them. It's going to set them back. But you know, it's a quarterback. If, if he hits, then who cares? Um, so that's why teams are going to kind of throw that conventional wisdom out the window when it comes to draft day and you're really up against it and your franchise is in dire need of some hope in the form of a young quarterback that can come in and potentially change things around because that is how jobs are kept and also how jobs are lost but you got to take the swing it's that it's it's that type of environment you can't just dawdle around with joe flacco's for your entire career by the way is John Elway like ever in the conversation to get fired? In I Denver? think he should be. I think right. he, well, and I think terrible he will mismanagement be pretty soon. And either way, he won a Super Bowl. He got Peyton Manning. So worse things could you know could have happened to him during his tenure. But since that move, his been, quarterback decisions have been awful. He's kind of the Joe Flacco. Of GMs, isn't he? Because he won a Super Bowl. This is meta. And he had some really high moments, obviously, in building that team. But all you can really say about him is that he won a Super Bowl, which Mm -hmm. is really all you can say about Joe Flacco is that he got hot (laughs) and won a Super Bowl, and that's about it. I mean, yeah, he won some playoff games uh, when the defense was really good and when he was in his prime, and the offense was. You know, had some weapons. Yeah, he also Since completed then, some deep balls. I don't want to take was, everything he from was Joe great. Flacco. He was and, great and in that playoff. I run. would argue that John Elway was great in building those Super Bowl teams. But since then, in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, they've both done a whole big pile of nothing, and now they can do a whole big pile of nothing together. And what's interesting, I saw the, the rundown of who they've brought in since Peyton Manning at quarterback. And I forget who said it, and I'm sorry, uh, even though they're not going to listen. It's someone from the Denver or a national level. And they go, Chad Kelly was probably the most talented quarterback he brought. he's brought in since Peyton Manning. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, and they, they've drafted Paxton Lynch. They brought in Case Keenum. They've had all of these different swings that have just been awful. God awful. So... He's probably going to feel some heat, which means he probably needs to take a QB. So the Bills are in a great spot at ninth overall ahead of those Broncos because, let's say, somebody wants to plan for the future, uh, and and they and they would like to uh, they would like to get their quarterback ahead of the Broncos, uh, continue John Elway's freefall in in the quarterback realm. Then hey, there's a deal to be had. Pretty good. Not a bad spot to be in heading into the offseason being in as Brandon Bean has put it picking in the top 10 but not needing to pick in the top 10 I think that's uh probably the the best spot you can be in uh with a quarterback in place that you believe in and teams feeling a little bit desperate at the position so I'm sure they'll they'll be fielding calls uh come late March early April and you know right up until draft day to try to find a deal because the best value for them is to have more picks mm-hmm. when they have so many needs to address. And this is a big test for them to see if, if you know, all we've seen is this regime trade up. What can they, can they recognize and get a good value in trading down? I think it's a, 
a tough test sometimes. And I think some of the most patient, you know, general managers sometimes do, you know, trade down and collect assets. You know, obviously they did it when they probably the most controversial trade down they'll ever have when they traded down with the pick that became Patrick Mahomes. But, mm. you know, I thought you're going to say the EJ trade down. Well, that one <laughs> probably too. But since Brandon Bean's been here, it's been all about trading up. And so uh, we'll see if if he has the the negotiating skills and the, the wherewithal to move down and get some value and then make the most of that with some some solid picks on day two, because mm-hmm. I really think day two is most years. And, and this year looks like it could be again. You can really transform your roster on day two. Round one gets a ton of attention for good reason, but day two is arguably the most important night of the draft. Yeah, I think they can get a potential star player in in this year's class if they they were to move down. I mean, let's say they move down to like, I don't know, 16. I don't know who's actually drafting at 16, but let's say they move down to 16. I mean, there's, there's the potential that Ed Oliver's still sitting there because he's kind of getting some kickback from the the whole draft community um there's a ton of edge rushers that are going to be available like maybe a guy like montez sweat who we saw at the combine or um cleveland farrell from from clemson so there's a there's a bunch of players that are in that little bucket and by the way you could sit there and go oh there's no way farrell or oliver is going to be there tremaine edmonds was by a lot of different people, one of the top five players available in that draft, and he went at 16 last year. So it's not it's not to say it, it, you, you can rule it out. It, it's There's so many flexibilities um, with this year's class, which I think is, is, is a pretty strong one, in, in my view, with what the Bills need, which is basically everything. Long way to go between now and, and April, too. Oh, for so sure. So a lot can happen that will you know shake up the top of the draft. All right, so uh, that's going to do it for us. Spencer Long is signed. I, we hope that uh, if you were, you know, a little bent out of shape about it, that we've offered some good perspective to you um, and with how they're building the offensive line, which is essentially overhauling it, and some other stuff. So thank you all to listening to this episode of The Bills Beat. Um, we will be back in the next week or two to discuss uh, any further. Well, we'll... We'll, we'll talk about the combine. We'll we'll do a combine preview. We'll we'll do that next week for sure, and then we'll do a pod in uh, in Indy. Um, but with with all that um, in mind, we've got a busy few weeks coming up here with uh, free agency starting officially on March thirteenth. So um, thank you all for listening. If uh, you want to vote in the Come On Darlene bracket again, tweet uh, at Fairburn and I that uh, the hashtag Come On Darlene, and we'll send the link personally. Or you can find the link in the SoundCloud info by clicking on the link that I tweet out. Um, Yeah, just click on that. Get to the SoundCloud page. You'll find the link right there. Um, So, vote, vote, vote. We'll see who makes it to the Elite Eight of the Come On Darlene bracket. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Bills Beat. And we will talk to you next time. See ya.